really just about surviving and taking your little idea Legos or whatever you learned and, and, and molding them around, but like, yeah, surviving another day and like making something interesting and like surviving the crucible of like that, that idea maze of like, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's try some stuff, you know? Dude, did you see the P ratio on Chop? I don't know. We've, we've had this discussion before, right? What is yeah. it? 28? 30. 30? Is that, but like, what does that mean? Actually, you know, like I worked in finance. What does that mean? What is that supposed to be like good to me or bad? Or like, what, what's my reaction supposed to be to 30? All I know is that 26 is the P, uh, P ratio S and P 500. And in oh. the S and P 500, there's a ton of value stocks. So the question that I, and by the way, I'm not in finance. So, yeah. but like the question I have is, is basically like, do I think Shopify is going to outperform the S&P in terms of growth? Like it's a growth stock. Like, and I believe that it's going to like grow. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, probably well, a what's decent the, bet. Yeah. Are we are we recording the, by the way? I think so. Yeah. I, none of this is financial advice. Um, but what, like, what is the bull and bear case? I mean, I, I guess the bear case that I could make for Shopify would be like macro based it would be like interest rates are going to be rising inflation is terrible consumers are going to have to tighten the bootstraps all of the shopify stores that have thrived over the last two years and benefited from the fact that consumers have so much money and are flush with cash are going to suffer because they're not and people aren't going to be spending money on like random shit that that you might buy on shopify and so like the the bear case to me is like macro consumer economy um struggles inflation super high and people tighten their belts the bull case is like pretty clear to me, right? I don't know. E-commerce is going to continue eating the world. Shopify is like the elephant in the room um, and enabling small e-commerce to work and thrive. And they're going to continue to roll out feature sets that make it stickier and even better for people. And Toby and Harley are like absolute master tacticians that um, I would just put money on to win. But if you believe, if, you, if you're investing for the long term, which you want to do, like we're talking about, five years or more like even if we even if it goes down another 100 200 300 bucks don't you think that it's it's in five years gonna you know be a lot worth a lot more than it is today yeah i mean this is all this is like an interesting general topic because it's like when people disagree on different investing stuff it's usually just that they're like risk tolerance or risk tolerance or time horizons are different and you don't really disagree when you like when you um align those things because like if my if my risk tolerance is super low because i'm a 65 year old person about to retire and i need this cash i might say like i don't know that this is the best bet but i'm 30 and i'm investing anything i buy right now i'm never planning to sell like i'm going to borrow against it in the future i hope uh, but i'm never going to sell it and so yeah i'm perfectly comfortable just like at, you know buying more and more shopify as it goes from 640 where it is right now to like it could be at 350 and i'd still be buying on the way down right um because i believe it's going to be worth a whole lot more in the future just because i frankly because i trust and believe in toby and harley to lead a ship that's going to be doing really well but i think when you align time horizon and risk tolerance a lot of these disputes that people have around like different names and different stocks tend to just come into alignment or like go away totally agreed i also think that as investors and also people, we're just so focused on instant gratification that like when a stock goes down or it's not going as 
rising as fast as we think, we're like, we start to lose hope. Like we see it in a different light. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. Crypto did that to us, by the way. Like the, the idea that you like should like multiple X something very, very quickly is so ludicrous outside of, um, you know, in like mainstream finance traditionally, but all of a sudden that's like what we're like desensitized to it, right? Like a 20% gain in a year is incredible if you do it over and over and over again. That's what Warren Buffett did. He just had staying power on like 20% average annual returns. But that sounds so boring to our generation to like generate 20% returns. Maybe in a week, I want 20% returns on my like crypto portfolio. But the longer term view is not one that people are familiar with. The other thing that you hit on there is like, everyone says they're not going to panic when stuff drops until stuff drops. And then you're like, you start to feel this terrible sensation in your body and you want to sell um, no matter what. I mean, like, Everyone is a steel man until they're actually put to the test on these things, at which point I, f I generally find that people just start to panic. Today's episode is brought to you by Marketer Hire. With Marketer Hire, you can get expert marketers on demand. It's easy and fast. What's Marketer Hire? Simply put, Marketer Hire is a marketplace for marketing talent. They built a network of expert marketing professionals pre-vetted by top marketers from well-known and high-growth brands. And then they use their proprietary marketer match technology to match clients with the best marketer for every single project. And they match them fast, typically within 48 hours or less. There's zero risk. You don't sign or pay anything unless you choose to work with someone. Many of my startups in the portfolio are using Marketer Hire and absolutely love it. If you're a growing business, you will too. Check them out today at marketerhire.com. Again, that's marketerhire.com. And tell them Sahil sent you. 93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our best moments are outdoors. That's why I'm so excited to share with you Outer. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, and durable outdoor furniture. When I moved to New York last year and got a new place, one of my priorities was finding an outdoor workspace. Outer's products have provided me with that game-changing experience. I now have outdoor furniture that's durable, that has modular designs. It has life-proof material that withstands the weather and the fluctuations that New York often brings. They have a patented built-in outer shell cover to keep your furniture dry from rain and dew. It's the how-did-no-one-think-of-this-before product for me on the outdoor furniture front. I've absolutely loved it, and I know you will too. See the difference at liveouter.com slash room. And now through May 1st, you'll get $300 off plus free shipping. Again, that's liveouter.com -E slash room and get $300 off plus free shipping. Only available to our podcast listeners. You're going to absolutely love it. Um. I agree. Well, what are you not panicking about today? What did you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I know we have a lot, dude. I mean, I've got a handful of things on my list. Um, I did have just like a random fun and Danny's joining soon. I think, um, I, um, I saw this really funny article, which I do just, uh -oh, oh, there he is. Look there at that hair, is. man. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good morning, gents. How are you? How are you? Now I, I feel really upset that I wore a hat because now I'm like getting shown up by both of you guys in the hair game. I mean, 90% of the reason why I invited Danny was to just show off his vibe. So if you're listening to this, you need it on Spotify or Apple, like 
that's why you need to watch YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> this is like it's worth it just to get a glimpse of it's for Danny's hair Danny. and for your headset. Make sure to smash that like, comment, subscribe button down <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, smash the know, button right you here. Know. Check it out. I don't know where uh, the button is, but it's so, you know it's uh, on mobile. Well, on dude, mobile. my uh, my only face to face interaction with Danny so far has been looking at his Twitter avatar, and we've somehow failed to meet in New York, even though we've overlapped several times. So now I'm a little shocked and thrown off because you have this like clean cut look on your Twitter avatar, and now you, you know, come on and you look like a flowing vibe guy. Like a like a hobo, and and I and I think I don't know. Were, were you? I, I don't know if you want to say it out loud, but there, there was a friend who threw a birthday party in L.A. with One Republic. Uh, I was there. I, I was there too, but I was also I was wearing a beanie. I was wearing a beanie and uh, just. Ridiculous I was not energy. of sound mental state. Me, not, maybe it's possible. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if 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 council is uh, watching, uh, I was. I may not have been of sound. Uh, state either, but uh, I can't confirm nor deny. I can just say it was a great time. And by the way, have, well, One Republic, One Republic. Um, when that friend of ours said that One Republic was playing at the birthday, I was sort of like scratching my head. Um, I was like, man, One Republic. Like I haven't heard them in a long time. And One Republic was freaking amazing, man. I thought oh, they were so good. Deep catalog. Also, I mean, I, I forgot that he, the One Republic guy on his own made all that those like edm tracks the lesso like uh what's his name? i don't know his name i feel really bad but i was like oh you know when you hear it and you're like yeah yeah, yeah. dude i mean like he's like a writer for all these other songs so he sang those I, I thought it was amazing i was really blown away by that i was like team one republic i told the guy i was like man i don't care what anyone else says about you i think you're great <laughs> do you okay you know who i i recently came across mike posner Oh, have you, been, have you been following Mike Posner's journey? Since Duke. No. Since Duke. He was a Duke Since kid. Duke. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I found, you know, I started w- just following him on uh, TikTok, actually. And he's got a crazy story. So he, for, for people who don't know, he's the I took a pill in a visa guy. No, he's the you're cooler than me. Cooler than me, oh, yeah. man. That was the jam. But yeah. way no, before it took a pill and a visa. And then they, no, it was the Gigamesh, the Gigamesh remix of Cooler Than Me that I remember that popped it off as like the banger. Anyway, go on, yeah, go yeah. on. The guy, it was banger after banger after banger. This is what we're talking 2006, maybe to 2011. I want to say 2009. 2009. It was around. Anyways, I, I remember he blew up. Also, this is very internet nerd stuff, but like of what community he blew up on. There was a place called like FratMusic.com, where like kids would choose the like top playlists and like whatever compete on like the top whatever. And he blew up on FratMusic.com, which is like people say, "Oh, you got big on SoundCloud." It was like, no, he blew up on. And, and, like, there are modern producers today that blow up with the kids on TikTok, on, like, college fratty TikTok or whatever, that, like, whatever. What's that guy? Like disco Dude, lines? That... There's one that did, like, a Taylor Swift remix. Anyways, getting mad nerdy. Is this the guy? Yeah. yeah. Is this the walking meditation exactly. guy, Exactly. So, yeah. so, basically, the I think the pinnacle of his career was, I mean, I don't know, you know, pinnacle. He's He's got a bright future. But he, he was super, super popular. You know, mm. I took a pill in Ibiza with Avicii. That was, you know... He, he did that. And then I think he got really burnt out and he was like, I'm out. I'm like no longer doing music. I'm done, which takes a lot of courage to like basically be like at the top of your game and, you know, being Tom Brady and retiring at like 23, basically. And he decided to walk all across America. And it and the craziest part of the story is he got his leg 
bitten off or something. Did you hear about this? No, got... I did not hear that. What, wait, what happened? <laughs> By like a gator or what? So some reptile like went and like ate his foot or leg. Okay. Oh shit, dude! I'm seeing pictures of it. Oh my god. Yeah, and no, it was serious. Rattlesnake, dude. Rattlesnake. No, he got bit by a rattlesnake. Rattlesnake, and he was in the hospital, and the doctors like told him basically that like I don't know if he was going to be able to walk again, or, or he you know shouldn't be walking. Uh, there's like a picture of him in a wheelchair, but that did not stop Mike Posner. That did not stop him. He came and he walked to the end, and there's this beautiful TikTok of him like at the Pacific ocean. And he's like, you know, tears are kind of coming down. Uh, Mike Posner is like the inspiration of the week for me. <laughs> Forget one direction. Or this whatever. is like, uh, one Republic. Is, I, I, you know, when I, when I signed up to do today's episode and we were coming on and like, Danny's going to come on, we're going to jam on different business ideas. I never thought we were going to end up sharing a picture in the chat here of Mike Posner's swollen rattlesnake bitten foot. But I did just share that around and we will add it to the show notes. That is a remarkable story. Um, before we get too say, derailed, oh yeah, go on. <laughs> before we get too derailed, uh, Greg, you want to dive into our lists here? I know we have uh, a few things that we wanted to uh, wanted to jam through today. Yeah, let's do it. And I think uh, the reason I wanted Danny to come today, Danny Trin, D Trin, D Trizzy, is <laughs> DT Ricky Tan. Um, <laughs> what <laughs> is because he he comes from Consumer Social. Um, has been, you know, he's one of the, in my opinion, don't blush, turn off your, your video if you're watching on YouTube, if, if Danny blushes, but he's one of the, uh, if I've got a consumer social idea, I'm calling DT's my first call. Um, he's like literally OG, you know, number one, he knows his stuff inside out when it comes to consumer social, social behavior and consumer social is the equivalent of Mike Posner basically walking from east coast to west coast like you're gonna get your rattlesnake you're gonna lose a limb and and dt is danny's you know here to tell the story so yeah i just thought we'd talk about some ideas with danny yeah well hell yeah man thank you and i I feel like that that that's that's the truth of it is like anyone that's a consumer social for too long it's really just about surviving and taking your little idea legos or whatever you learned and, and and molding them around but like yeah surviving another day and like making something interesting and like surviving the crucible of like that that idea maze of like i don't know if this is gonna work but let's try some stuff you know um so thank you speaking speaking of surviving or rather not surviving can we just spend a few brief minutes to do an rip of fast so i i like this is i don't want to say my favorite because there's a lot of employees um who are really you know harmed by this whole situation and it's really sad but the, the collapse of fast is one of the most fascinating things that's happened in the last couple of years to me. And I, I want to just like recap it and I want to get your guys reaction. So basically fast for anyone that doesn't know was one of the one click checkout mm. companies, you know, you've probably seen it recently because um, our friend Ryan Breslow at Bolt waged the, uh, you know, the war against YC and the Stripe mob that he alleged existed. Um, Fast was actually the company that he claimed, you know, kind of got propped up by by Stripe and YC to take down Bolt. And um, Fast raised like $120 million or something crazy from Stripe, from Index, from Edition, from all these amazing players. Um, it also had one of the most outlandish CEOs I think I've ever seen personally. Um, and now as of, I think it was yesterday or April 5th, they, um, 
they announced that they're closing their doors. They uh, were running out of money, raining out, ran out of money rather. And literally like on Friday um, is the last day that they're going to be open. All the employees have to go find another job. All you know, like a bunch of the employees got hired by a firm, a bunch of the engineers. Um, and the CEO released this thing saying sometimes trailblazers don't make it all the way to the mountaintop. Um, and I just, ha I have to check receipts on this, Greg, because you're in this group chat where literally, I think it's almost a year ago, like August of last year, there was this product announcement that Fast did. Um, I actually have no clue what the product was that they were announcing, but the CEO came in in a, uh, in like a stock racer car that was branded and Fast, came into the press conference doing like spin around shit in the, in the parking lot and then got out in like a pink blazer and got up on stage with this whole like fireworks going off and shit and he came up and said this whole thing and i sent a text to our group chat saying is fast a fraud and i'm gonna i'm gonna post a picture of this because i think it's hilarious i said is fast a fraud this has the most theranos vibes i've ever seen in my life and now i'm checking receipts on it greg i mean you called that one as soon as i saw the news i was like sahil he, he definitely he got that right i mean my i don't think it was a fraud by the way but like just a bad business yeah yeah no i think uh your your spidey senses of like you know is this a real product or you know have they raised too much money is it like is this pets.com vibes was definitely on point well danny yeah. i'm curious for your take danny because um a c so first off fast is like a back-end unsexy product like one-click checkout should sit in a place where no one really sees it like it should blend into everything and yeah. then doing a press conference like that is like the most showy um like consumer socially type vibe and so i was like part of me the alarm bells were going off of like why are you doing this when your product should actually be seamless and in the back end with no one knowing it i, I feel like I, get, I always get really wary of just overfunded hype announcements that have like details to them that have nothing to do really with the business of the announcement and i i remember do you remember when airtime launched in like 2011 2012 and it was like just this cluster mess of like overspending on talent but it was like you had snoop dogg and then jimmy fallon and it, it was almost like the title announcement actually where they got they, like, they put everybody out in a line and you're like okay this is either going to be amazing or this is going to be like a, a really really tragic and so I didn't see that last year, but if I imagined if I saw someone in a pink blazer get out of a car that was doing wheelies with the company logo on it, I'd be like, the spidey sense is tingling on, <laughs> uh, yeah, on, on where this is going to go because it has nothing to do. I'm sorry, that has nothing to do, you know. Then again, and okay, maybe this is also rest in peace Google Glass. It's like, remember when they were, they were trying to launch Google Glass and they had two yeah. guys jump out of a weather balloon uh, and like bike into Moscone Center? And it had nothing to do with Google Glass. I think they just wanted an excuse that people parachute. And, and go into Moscone said, you're like, what does this have to do with Google Glass? At least it's and like a consumer product and you can justify it as like, okay, hype is important. But like a B2B sale of <laughs> one-click checkout, like where is the hype necessary? Greg, actually your friend Parker Klingerman yeah, uh, yeah. is in that video because he was the guy that <laughs> drove the car. He must have gotten hired by them. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> he, he graduated crypto college, so I spent a bunch of time with him. Um <laughs> But yeah, he's, uh, I did see that. I'm curious his take on he's it. The he's the I best. I mean, he's the best. He's a great, great guy. I, for, for me, the lesson is um, if your founder is, uh, is coming in to a press conference in a pink sport jacket uh, and doing like Tokyo Drift style spin outs in the parking lot in like a rally car, you should start polishing your resume. I yeah. think, yeah, I think the question is like if you're a founder, 
of a venture back startup, how on a scale from like zero to fast, like in terms of being like super public and super audacious and super like marketing stunt driven, like where should the, where do you two think uh, a founder should sit? I don't know if it's my call. I think what, what the one asterisk worth uh, putting down here is like the hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And I'm sure there have been some really crazy, audacious consumer uh, hype stunts that like worked out for really great products, like uh, like the Super Bowl ad for for the Mac. You know, I'm like, okay, that's the craziest, like one of the craziest ads of all time, iconic. But you're also like, what does 1984? I mean, okay, I kind of get the message, but this is over the top, you know. Uh, well, also the Mac was it didn't work out so hot, so maybe that's a bad example. Uh, but okay, all, all I know is you know, I think it comes down to the person. It comes down to the founder of, of can they stomach it? Are they shameless enough to stomach it? Living with them for years, like Sam Altman, uh, the double popped collars on stage at WWDC when he did loops with neon and neon green and neon pink. I was like, how are you going to be next to Steve Jobs in a double popped collar? Uh, you know, that's going to be etched into history, you know, maybe some people forget it, but like most of us that have been around will remember that forever. And so, yeah, you can try to do this like revisionist, like uh, image polishing and like let enough time pass to like, you know, clean it up, you know, and become fresh. It's just, yeah, if you're going to go crazy, uh, you know, just know that it's always going to be on the record books, you know, um, in this case, there was hot pink, but also green on top of the hot pink. So maybe that's the fast founder should have worn a green blazer over the, uh, over the pink, you know? It would have been fine. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, anyway, I'm glad that we got to cover that because that has been uh, grabbing at me for over a year now. And uh, hopefully those employees all land in a great place. And honestly, wish nothing but the best to the people that uh, that were there. But what a crazy situation to raise that much money. And then also shows that just because you have a high valuation doesn't mean you might not go out of business Wait, literally so, tomorrow. So what's happening to them? Like, be, are they just closed or like is someone picking them up or like, you know, is there a soft landing? Like, Closing their doors on Friday, from what I can tell. I mean, the, the, it literally dropped yesterday, all the news on it. So I'm sure they're still developing. But if you go to like the CEO's website, it used to be this crazy website. Now it's a Google Doc of all of the employees' names and like what that whether they're looking for work and what they were doing and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so it seems like it's just shutting down. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the technology gets acquired by somebody, but um, it's pretty crazy. Let's um let's jump to the next stuff on the list, man. I know we have some some ideas to to uh to jam through. I do want to get your guys' take and Greg, especially yours. Um, since we talk play to earn on the show, uh, quite frequently, the uh, the big news in the play to earn world over the last couple weeks was this massive hack that uh that hit Axie Infinity. Um, you know, two billion dollars plus in revenue that they've made over the last couple of years probably the predominant play to earn game, at least the number one that people know about or hear about became huge when, uh, you know, there was like the news article in the Philippines that there were a bunch of people that were making a living wage off of it. And, um, pretty amazing. I mean, massive hype cycle to, to Danny's expertise around, you know, around consumer social. And, um, they definitely rode a massive hype wave and they've come down way off of it. I mean, the, I think daily active users are down 50% from the highs, but then a week ago they get hit by, I guess hack is actually a loose term here. What really happened was that someone got access to the private keys that um, stored the funds that existed in the like Ronin bridge that was kind of between um, between currencies and into the game. And someone took 
$625 million worth of funds that were customer funds, you know, like player funds and put it off into, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of their own wallets literally just took it. And it took six days for anyone to realize, which is wild to me. Um, so reactions, thoughts here. I mean, look, we're, 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 as, as an industry and as a space for people to build, you know, we're still in the earliest, earliest innings, right? Like 10 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, damn, that things got crazy back then, huh? Like, you know, and, and, and obviously we're in the wild West and it's like, yeah, if you're going to do anything in the wild West, you got to be comfortable with some growing pains. And I think it's, it's tra- a little tragic because, you know, I think they, they, they really blazed some pretty crazy norms and, and like cut, like really kind of validated a space that other people were quick to laugh and, and boo at, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know too much about the hack. All I saw was that they was the, they they claim it was a combo of social engineering plus they did this thing where they took over the majority of the validators and then like washed away. I th- I saw something yesterday that was pretty sad, which was like they only announced a hundred fifty million dollar recovery fund for the six hundred twenty. Oh, that is sad. Which is like no, like if you're gonna do it, you gotta go one to one on recovery. Like find like in this space, you can find the people to do it. You know. Um, like that's sad. And, I, mean, I I hadn't seen that yet. And I don't want to boo at that because look, finding 620 to like is a large amount of cash to cover, but it's just like you kind of lose a lot of that player loyalty and that player trust uh when, you know, when you get compromised, you don't actually fix it. You kind of say like here's 20 cents on the dollar back, you know. Um because yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, now now no player can really it's it's it has that like little tarnished reputation, which is sad. Because I think, you know, that's such a killer team and I think it's a killer space and you only hope that people continue to build more and that players, more and more players adopt it. And what's sad about the hack is now everyone that ever tries this stuff is going to be like, oh, but you don't, you know, be careful. There's that one time where you lost the house, you know? Um, yeah. And so it's a, it's, it's a step back, but I, 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 I have a lot of faith or I, I really like a lot about that team. Um, and, I, and I hope they continue to, to go forward. I think there was a point in which like more people in Singapore had wallets than credit cards for Axie. Mm. And it's like, holy, like they're onto something. So, um, yeah. The other thing that I saw that was interesting with it was um, right after the hack happened, someone took a massive short position against the, um, against the currency, um, against the Ronin currency. And it was like, you know, it didn't get discovered for six days. So it was funny because someone took a massive short position. So it was like, are the hackers trying to like double dip, assuming that um, this was going to come out and it was going to drop, but then it backfired because yeah. no one found out for six days. And so the short position actually got liquidated because yeah. currency went up. <laughs> I mean, these are some truly degenerate hackers. I mean, like this is like, there's levels of degeneracy and it's one thing to like punch, punch a man. And it's another to like then trade on, beating that man you know like <laughs> totally <laughs> it's like oh god it's just like levels but i, I think you know did you see recently there was another wallet there was something where someone stole 150 million dollars or something and they actually created an anonymous recovery service where users could apply to get their money back if it was under a hundred thousand dollars or whatever I, I need to find this i'm like totally blanking out on what it was but i'm like the hackers these days are just getting degenerate and weirder you know which is also <laughs> the space that we're in like it's it's just crazy degenerates you know um, it is really hard though. Like now, if you're these hackers, I mean, everyone like crypto has this reputation of being the place where like criminals go and this is like degenerates and all these hacks and stuff, but it's really freaking hard for them to actually do anything with this money because you can see exactly where it came out, what yeah. wallets it went to and where it is now. So like they can now, you know, 
do some like elaborate laundering, you know, through little exchanges and tiny amounts of money. But with yeah. like a six hundred million dollar hat, it's really hard. I mean, it's the equivalent of like you go steal a hundred million dollars from a bank vault, and now you have a hundred million dollars of cash, and you need to figure out how yeah. to use that. It's not easy. Like it's actually quite difficult with a large I'm, amount. Of I'm money. looking forward like thirty years from now when in, when Narcos on Netflix is covering crypto, uh, and they're, they're like you know we have, we had Pablo Escobar now, but like it's going to be whatever. It's going to be some combo of like showing off tornado cash plus this like 17 year old at home being like, I think I should take a short on this game, you know, and they're like, oh, shit, like they had dinner and they're like, oh, I got liquidated. You know, There's that great Netflix documentary that just came out about the um, uh, about the Canadian guy that had the exchange that like, yeah. you know was pre- uh, was di- died in india uh of some like crohn's disease related thing but now people are like is he actually dead it's called trust no one it's on netflix it's actually yeah. awesome i started watching it with my wife it's so good um and it's like as wild and crazy of a story as you can imagine yeah i mean oof. so that's uh that's the play to earn space yeah <laughs> it's uh listen don't don't uh don't go to the wild west for uh for a spa weekend that's the lesson <laughs> i mean i i think what, what's exciting to me is if you look at axie i mean with all due respect to the people behind it and the folks who make that game it's a, it's okay game it's a, you know there's a lot of stuff that is really pi- that they pioneered i just hope that better games come along you know and i, and I know there are many many more coming along and I hope that yeah that they um, that they make things are interesting. Personally, for me, not my cup of tea, but it's really interesting as an example to point to. Yeah. I don't know if anybody they are advancing playing. it. Yeah. They're working at it, right? Like their whole plan and the roadmap was really to make the game more immersive over time. Because I do, I mean, they they readily acknowledge that like if the game is not an immersive playing experience, it's very hard to have durable, sustainable financialization within a play to earn game. Yeah. And I think they know that they're a really smart team. Um, Greg and I both know Jiho there, yep. who's great. Um, but it's a challenge, man. And now this is like a new thing. I personally think of all of this as like the the other edge of the return sword. You know, like everyone gets so excited about crypto and they're like, yo, I 10x my portfolio. I did this and that. Well, that doesn't come with no risk, right? And so every now and then you're going to get your shit stolen or like something yeah. crazy is going to happen that you didn't expect. Like that risk or that uh, that return you got was not free. It wasn't like you, uh, you know, you found some world where you could get 100x plus returns with no additional risk. The other piece is just expect volatility to go both ways it doesn't only go up you know i mean i mean we love up only energy but like uh <laughs> like it, it sometimes it goes to zero real fast you know and like just the, the, the nature of literally playing in this if you play play to earn like you know, just, just expect things to get spicy you know um, yeah that said i'm a, i'm a huge maxi on just hoping pokemon wakes up and if anyone in the pokemon company is listening out there I just really hope that they get into this space because that's when that's when the fireworks start, you know. Um, let's let's yeah. talk about that for a second. Like, if you if you were the the CEO of Pokemon, like, what sort of what sort of ideas, trends, concepts would you be thinking about? Like, what would you be doing? I I got into this debate the other day with someone. They're like, "Oh, you know, Pokemon has Niantic, whatever." And I'm like, "No, Pokemon owns the Pokemon game. Literally, every few years they introduce a new." pokemon set of games and like add another 150 pokemon to the universe like they it's almost like star wars like they they have a storytelling engine and they control the ip right and so to me it's like pokemon has been no stranger to like all kinds of experiments 
with like bad games like they, they don't have to be these crazy franchise like these crazy you know like triple a quad quadruple a game releases like they can do a ton of experiments and i'd say like if i'm pokemon company right now i i would be fast tracking a few parallel tracking a few experiments you know like remember they made that like pokemon picture game for nintendo 64 where you get like you could use like, pokemon a, like snap a, yeah pokemon snap and you know like you know it, do like, i remember what do you mean do <laughs> i remember you know I, yeah of course and then Pokemon Pinball on Game Boy with, like, the actual, the, they introduced the Rumble cartridge, you know? And, like, it was, like, the only, you know, one-of-one one Rumble cartridge, whatever. And it's, like, yeah, Pokemon has been no stranger to, like, experimenting with new technologies that may go bust and may go to zero. But I'm, like, if you're Pokemon, like, you're sitting on some of the craziest IP. Like, I think it's the third largest media franchise ever. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think it's, like, they're ahead of Hello Kitty. or but I, know, I think the craziest thing is they're ahead of Mickey Mouse. And I'm, like, wow. yeah, like go experiment you know um and i'm sure they are so well, all i'm saying is i'm just adding they, more good chi out there to hope that they do it faster yeah. what do they do you guys might know this so i've never really like researched the pokemon company um and the fact that it's an independent company is interesting to me um and the fact that like disney hasn't gone and just tried to acquire it i'm actually shocked that i mean maybe now it's just too big and it, it'd be too much of a big swallow for them but yeah. like what are they doing greg on the ip front like we, we've had the discussion on the show before around um you know companies like disney and how they police their ip you know with an army of lawyers and lobbyists etc and like mickey mouse keeps coming up for um for coming into the uh to, into the public realm public domain and they keep changing copyright laws in america so that it doesn't reach the public domain um so there's companies on that end of the spectrum then there's this whole thing around like cco that a bunch of you know the nft projects have have pushed out and focused on like is, is pokemon on one end or the other of the spectrum are they like policing their ip really tightly the the pokemon company is a joint venture between Pokemon, I believe, Game Freak and Creatures. Game Freak and Creatures are, are video game development studios. Um, Nintendo also is involved there. Um, so Nintendo. Oh, so it's Nintendo, Game Freak, and Creatures have a joint venture that. Owns oh yeah, sorry, Pokemon Pokemon exactly. So they, it's an interesting okay. model um, that they're basically like, okay. Here's like three really big companies who have, you know, different skill sets. Let's come together, create some like incredible IP, use that IP, you know, in the case of Nintendo, use it in, in video, you know, video games, but also license it, license it out for movies, for collectibles, for XYZ. Um, from what I understand, they're very uh, cagey with who they license their stuff to. Um, but they're very entrepreneurial in the sense of like, like, what's the relationship between, um, what's it called, uh, Me uh, Megan Quinn's company? Yeah, so what's Niantic. the relationship between Pokemon and Niantic? I mean, I, I, I don't know the exact terms, but it's not like they have an exclusive. I mean, I'm sure they have some sort of forms of exclusive. They license but like it, right? You know, so you know, just only, yeah, it's almost like a branch. They have, like, a branch. They're just a branch of the Pokemon yeah. universe, you know? Um and like I think that's something that's been really been on my mind. Uh, I know Greg, like it's something that I've been like obsessed with recently is like storytelling engines and like these dynasties of storytelling, which is like if you look at Disney, you look at like like you know having Pixar, Lucasfilm, uh, Marvel, you know like these dynasties that like create more and more 
more and more and like as their surface areas bounce off of each other they make even more possible like i think another good example that people don't think of as a storytelling engine is like lvmh where like whenever they like they're doing it right now where they're trying to rehabilitate tiffany and co and you know, they acquired it they tried to dump it then they had to like buy it fully but if you watch what tiffany co is doing it's like 4d chess you know they have jay-z and beyonce rocking crazy jewels from the vault whatever and it's a storytelling engine to like make it relevant and cool again you know and so when i think of the pokemon company i'm like yeah like they're this 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 storytelling ip universe that has endured and found all kinds of ways to come to you like not just in and games not just digital games like the cards themselves are like that's its own crazy fan base that's like just out of control you know uh into it and so yeah like you know they, they have the ar stuff with the antic you know but like you know in this in this day and age like there's so many more places like they can go you know like i grew up on the pokemon tv show you know like Same. You movies know? The movie, remember the movie where you got the yeah. the, Mew, the Mew card that was like yeah. Ancient Mew. Well, can you talk about that? Like, explain yeah. explain that moment. Yeah. Explain that moment in time. Explain the card. Explain because I feel like some people there's a lot of like Gen Z yeah. and, and older generation watching, but for us millennials, that was like yeah, I, that was monumental. Well, it and this is the same era as Harry Potter, but like I think the coolest thing about Pokemon was it hit multiple surface areas at once. Like I literally begged my mom for a Game Boy Color because I needed to play. And it was almost like choo- choosing a gang of like, oh, you chose either Pokemon Red or Pokemon Blue. Same game-ish, but you were definitely like gang colors, like I'm red or you're blue, right? Then same time, every day you're coming home from school, there's the Pokemon show. And they would teach you the Pokemon like they would show with the outline of a Pokemon, and like who's that Pokemon before the commercial break, and you'd be like, oh, I think it's uh, that's got to be Clefairy, I think, you know. And then bam, after the commercial, you're like I got him, that was Clefairy, you know. And then the cards, it was like this like status ladder of like, okay, can your family afford a lot of cards? Because if you get a holographic Charizard, you're basically a local warlord. You're like, yo, I roll, I roll, I move differently. I have a holographic Charizard. And then it culminated in this moment. That was such a status flex, yeah. by the way. That was like the modern day Lamborghini. Like yeah. if you rolled with the holographic Charizard, you were such a badass in your yeah. little clan. You're like, no, prove it. Like at summer <laughs> camp, you like prove it, and they'd show it, and you'd be like, oh my, like that kid is different. That kid, is, oh damn, you <laughs> that know? kid is built different. You know. And then it culminated in this moment, though. The movie came out, and it was like, yo, okay, hey, and like this is like there was like there were there were forty chests. They were like, if you go to this movie. We'll give you the Pokemon Mew, you know, I think, you know, I'm going to, it's, it's, you know, there's Mew and Mewtwo, but like, we're going to give you this crazy holographic card that looks like it's an ancient runes, you know, like whatever. And everyone that shows up gets it. And I remember they did the, the four, the full court press. It's like McDonald's or Burger King or whatever. Like you could like get the happy meals with the Pokemon. And it was like this thing where Pokemon, they told their story on every surface possible all at once. And it was like, it was impossible to be alive and a kid and not like no 150 Pokemon, which is like, that's pretty crazy though. You basically taught like a bunch of kids, like all these, all these, like an entire like species, you know? Uh, so anyways. Yeah, uh, it goes to, I mean, it yeah. goes to just this like broader point of storytelling and the power of, and I think brands are finally starting to realize it again. Like it's sort of, I, I think like the the era of like ads and like social, you know, buying ads on Facebook and Google and all these places sort of like put, um, sort of put storytelling on the back burner for a while where people were like, dude, the arbitrage on just buying ads is insane. So we're just yeah. going to say, screw it and just spend money to acquire customers. And it's such a good return. Who cares? And now you can't do that. And so the businesses that are thriving and that are going to continue to thrive in the coming years 
are going to be the ones that actually have a story to tell and tell yeah. it really effectively. Like I saw Toby from Shopify tweeted out this really funny thing recently where he was like, um, you know, it used to be that you could go type something in and like basically have no one competing against you for those ads, um, yeah. like and Google AdWords. And he's like, now I'm pretty sure you could like smash your face into the keyboard and roll it around a little bit and have like a hundred people betting, you know, <laughs> bidding against you on those AdWords. Um, and it's just a sign of the times, but it now creates this massive opportunity for companies that storytell effectively. And Pokemon, you bring up as an example of it. I do have to shout out, by the way, on Pokemon cards. The most hilarious thing on Pokemon cards is Greg, our friend Josh Fabian, the founder of Metify. His mm. sons are ranked like top 30 in the world at Pokemon cards. They're like nine. Mm. And and there's no age restrictions on those things. So like the kid is like top well, his older son is like 12 or something, and he's top 50 in the world in Pokemon. And he goes to these competitions and like Pokemon cards against like some 45 year old who clearly has like a different level of mental faculties because he's a grown man. And so Josh was recently at a tournament watching his son play and some guy sat down in front of his son to, to play him in like the championship and was like, Oh, this should be easy. And now this like 11 year old kid dismantles him. That's amazing. And at the end of the match, like threw down the gauntlet card and literally looked at him, like crossed his arms and was like, guess it won't be so easy. Huh? Yeah. That's, I, it's I wanna, so good man i, I want to see but one like weird like linking multiple threads of the conversation together like this is maybe my my my, my big takeaway is that like the ability to storytell meaningfully is what separates to me the companies that endure or, like the, especially consumer like the things that endure and the things that don't like if you think about it like look at youtubers like competing on youtube like if you're mr beast or any of these people they storytell so well and they do it with persistently weekly like crazy and like it, compare that to like the fast guy doing like I'm gonna do pop wheelies and wear a pink blazer. That's like a cheap story. It's like a like oh look at me, look at look at me. Well, like the story doesn't endure. It doesn't really resonate. It's just like this like flash in a pan. You know, you don't really you like you yeah it's like memorable, but like it doesn't t touch you. You know, and it's like these other things like these Pokemon, like YouTubers, whatever. Like the, the the things that really endure are the ones that can do it consistently and like leave something with you. You know. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you look at consumer founders today, like the ones that are killing it the best are the ones that are like really, really leaving you with something. Um, I also, I, I, I also think they, they oh, uh, yeah, when I think of brands like Pokemon, Nintendo, et cetera, they do such a good job at storytelling from like an ecosystem perspective, like everything kind of like, mm. uh, you know, a is connected to B and B is connected to C and C is connected to D and it's all like intertwined. Like I think like to your point around like what Pokemon was doing around basically onboarding people to the game via questions and, and teaching mm. them is like, it wasn't like, it, w it was very deliberate. So I think like deliberate storytelling um, in addition to deep storytelling are like way underrated. 93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our best moments are outdoors. That's why I'm so excited to share with you Outer. Outer makes the world's most beautiful, comfortable, and durable outdoor furniture. When I moved to New York last year and got a new place, one of my priorities was finding an outdoor workspace. Outer's products have provided me with that game-changing experience. I now have outdoor furniture that's durable, that has modular designs. It has life-proof material that withstands the weather and the fluctuations that New York often brings. They have a patented built-in outer shell cover to keep your furniture dry from rain and dew. It's the 
how did no one think of this before product for me on the outdoor furniture front? I've absolutely loved it, and I know you will too. See the difference at liveouter.com room. And now through May 1st, you'll get $300 off plus free shipping. Again, that's liveouter.com slash room and get $300 off plus free shipping. Only available to our podcast listeners. You're going to absolutely love it. Today's episode is brought to you by Marketer Hire. With Marketer Hire, you can get expert marketers on demand. It's easy and fast. What's Marketer Hire? Simply put, Marketer Hire is a marketplace for marketing talent. They built a network of expert marketing professionals pre-vetted by top marketers from well-known and high-growth brands. And then they use their proprietary marketer match technology to match clients with the best marketer for every single project. And they match them fast, typically within 48 hours or less. There's zero risk. You don't sign or pay anything unless you choose to work with someone. Many of my startups in the portfolio are using Marketer Hire and absolutely love it. If you're a growing business, you will too. Check them out today at marketerhire.com. Again, that's marketerhire.com. And tell them Sahil sent you. Yeah. yeah, and it just has to be woven into the DNA of what you're doing. Like if you're a company and you're growing and you're not thinking about storytelling, if you have any sort of consumer-facing angle, you're going to struggle long-term because at the end of the day, you just cannot, like even just like mechanically, when you're starting as a company, your first customers are your lowest customer acquisition cost. That's like the people that you get early, the true believers. And over time, you have to find a way that your customer acquisition cost doesn't go nuts and doesn't yeah. go through the roof. And for most companies, it does, and they don't go out of business. That's why they're not around 10 years from now because it, it, you get further and further away from your core, and it becomes more and more challenging to acquire customers. Storytelling is how you cut through that. And storytelling is actually how you find a dynamic where your customer acquisition cost either stays flat or comes down over time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, network effects with a consumer business, you know, similar dynamics, but storytelling is so powerful for that type of thing. And any company that's not thinking about it and yeah. thinking about it in the context of the community they're building and the ecosystem they're building to Greg's point, I would just be short. The one thing I'd add is, you know, toys are like the prelude to, to, to big ideas. And like, you know, I think a lot of folks mistake YouTubers being really silly. To the point about stunts being like flash in the pan, I'd actually add like a little riff that like, if you do do stunts, make sure they have a story behind them that's repeatable and consistent. Like some of my favorite YouTubers is this guy named Eric, who like literally, I feel like we watched go from zero to a million. And his big stunt was that he could sneak into anything. And so he began as this fanboy, he would like sneak into Logan Paul fights, whatever, but he would keep doing it. Like he would sneak into the Super Bowl, he would sneak into the Floyd Mayweather, like crazier, bigger and bigger, bigger things. Like with people that follow the story are like, oh my God, this guy's hilarious. And now he's diversified his channel and does a lot of other stuff. I'm like, that's what his thing. There's another really funny YouTuber, this guy, Gideon, like one of my favorite pranksters he like has no shame and like you feel the secondhand awkwardness when you watch him do these hilarious stunts but he has a storyline through it where he when people ask him for his name when he's like getting arrested or kicked out he'll be like i'm demarcus cousins and like, he has this video where he actually ends up like he, he, his star has blown up and he, like he's cool with carl anthony towns he actually meets demarcus cousins and all these kids at like a rockets game are like losing their shit watching him meet like demarcus cousins and it's like this story where you're like what you feel like you're with them, even though he's like a prankster and this doing like like flashy, hilarious stuff to grab attention. And so like, yeah, I think it's like even if you, even if the way you tell your story is like loud pranks, 
find a way to keep it consistent and not just like, look at me, I'm in a pink blazer, you know, uh, which like doesn't really last. Again, I don't mean to beat up on the fast guy because I think also, you know, great team, whatever. Like, I just, unless unless you're maybe in like the blazer the business, though, you know, like, yeah, there you go. That would that. Yeah, that would be how you do it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of it was kind of a sick blazer. I give him credit for it. I wouldn't pull it off, but some people can. Um, I want to spend uh, we've, we've got like 15 minutes left. I um, I want to do a little bit of like rapid fire on a handful of ideas. Um so maybe we can just open it up, but like random ideas we've been thinking about jamming on would love to like just kind of bat them around. Can I can I bring up an idea that I uh, an app that I, I hear is trending in the New York area that I'd like Danny's opinion on? Um, okay, Danny, have you heard of a app called Partiful? I'm no, let's put it Partiful? in the chat. I just pulled it up to this, this feels like a really good like if Partiful turns out to be an app that you're working on, this is a really beautiful segue. Like, what do you mean you haven't heard uh, about Partiful? <laughs> Partiful's the top app in the yeah. new, greater yeah. uh, tri-state area. <laughs> what, so what is it? I've got the website up. It's getpartiful.com. P-A-R-T-I-F-U-L. So, a friend of mine told me about it. Basically, um, as you know, people are trying to get back into events now with COVID subsiding a little bit. Um, and, you know, Facebook events used to be the sort of de facto way to organize um, around events. Um, but, you know, Gen Z and, and millennials don't really use Facebook that much. There's been a thousand attempts at social events. Um, but this particular company, um, which basically is a mix of a f- kind of like a Facebook type event, but you can also see photos from the party too. And they also have payments. So they manage mm-hmm. the payment. So let's say I want to create a house party and I want to invite 50 of my friends and I want to charge $20. They handle all the payments and then people could take photos and then they can share it. So it's like a group camera roll. Um, and it's starting to take off um, in like the, 18 to 24 year old demographic in New York city. Um, so curious if you think, you know, a, what do you think about the idea? B, what do you think about social events? Is this a, a big business or, you know, what do you think? I feel like I, I, I'm looking at their Instagram right now and it's being, it's followed by a bunch of younger folks I know. And so that's always good signal. I feel like it's always negative signal. If you go to a company's page and it's followed by like old VCs and you're just like, yeah, they like have like a hype round going, but like no kids actually fuck with them, you know? So it's cool that like a bunch of young kids I know in New York that aren't necessarily so techie are like, you know, following them, you know? Um, yeah. And I mean, and also a killer idea, right? It's just like, what's the atomic unit? Like truly don't, you don't need to build an app. It could be just be a basic website. That's super, that's easy to share and SMS, you know? Um, I like the vibes on their, their little, uh, you know, on, on their page. I, I think can you I just hit on yeah. when you just said that atomic unit thing, can, can you just explain what you mean by that? Well, I think typically in like, look, maybe this space also, I like I've, I've hacked in this space quite a bit uh, of like, how do you get people to hang out together in person a bunch People try to build everything, right? They think if I'm going to make a party app, I need to rebuild Facebook pages, which means a website with like sign in, all, like sorry, like an app that like has all the stuff and like bam, bam, bam. But it's like, no, maybe what you all really need is just what will the end recipient see, which, you know, if, if you're, if, I, if I'm inviting you to a party, I'm probably doing it on, on text, you know, if I actually like you, uh, you know, 
and and so yeah it's like okay the atomic unit of what you're, the the recipient is going to need here is just a, a link to click on you know because th this other competitor is just a flat text it's like greg i'm having a party tonight <laughs> here's the address can you make it which is like a, you know a ton of stress to manage once that party gets out of control you know um and so you know i think it's cool i i i think i've seen a bunch of folks try this where they like make really high party pages or, or even like really cool stories for instagram or snap uh to like make a really cool graphic that like has all these details on it um so i'd be like look I, I, they might be in a semi-crowded space so it's really going to come down to the network right of like literally who are like what parties are on partiful you know like yeah and and if, if i'm them like i saw they were messing around like the, the dispo energy of like disposable cameras that like they send out in mailers prepaid mailers it's cool um if i'm them i'd find a way to like maybe bankroll some really cool parties or unlock some really cool venues but but also hey look godspeed to them like I, i'm talking like an old man who's like haggard and like just you know would not touch this space with a you know <laughs> with a 20-foot pole ever again uh but but yeah i wish them all the best though so like truly i'm like good she to them like i hope i hope it works out there's a couple of things that are interesting about it that you hit on like one it's kind of like a it's like an infrastructure rails bet on the like return to normal too like it's been so in vogue to do like remote this hybrid that like we're all going to spend time apart we're never going to live together and this is like the ultimate everyone's going to be back in new york city this summer and it's going to be lit and yeah. we're going to you know create structure around that that enables people to go and kind of have the best experiences and then like document those incredible experiences and i generally think that's really interesting the other thing you said there at the end is like consumer social is such a graveyard um but if you do it and you win you're like a god um you know the people that have succeeded in consumer social um even on a small scale and like reached exit and had that you know number one in the app store moment it's incredible. I mean, it's got to be the most incredible thing in the world. Have, have they blown up, or it's is it just like it's still like young? Like, uh... like you got it. It's actually like young non-tech New Yorkers who are using it. But to me, like your intuition, like that's a really good signal. Um, yeah, yeah. The um, did you guys ever read? Do yeah. you know Sarah Tavel? Um, she's at Benchmark. Um, I think she's still at Benchmark. I'm mean, like an investor, writer, uh, etc. And she had this amazing piece on like the hype cycle in consumer, which we should link to in the show notes um, that I thought was so good as a mental model for evaluating these things where mm -hmm. basically if the hype cycle outpaces the kind of features and capabilities of the platform, you're dead and you can almost yeah. never come back. Um, and I'm sure you have a long list of companies you've seen where like it got so cool and everyone loved it. I mean, Clubhouse candidly is sort of like that, where it was like so cool, so much energy, but it wasn't quite there yet from a product standpoint. And now they have a really tall task at coming back and being cool again when everyone right. has already left. Um, right. and so I just like, I think about that constantly when I look at these consumer social businesses of like, where are they on that hype cycle curve? And are they building out enough so that when they do have their moment hit, if they do, they're ready for it and can kind of capture it and also like have that value accrue to the platform and to the users. And, and it's especially on Clubhouse, it's actually worth highlighting, you know, Twitter for the first time, like, like it's like spaces is, is doing quite well, you know, um, and it, it's cool to see because remember like Vine era, like it's cool to see Twitter finally be like, hey, like, hey, like we're going to take something awesome to like apply our network effects to it. And same for like, I'm looking at a part of full, I'm like, okay, the switching costs, like you could go, like, I, I do wonder, like truly, if someone sent me a part of full link versus another link, like what's, you know, you know, like what's the real difference to me, you know? 
um like a, like a party's a party if greg's telling me there's a party i'm like well greg i'm in my guy like, like you know it's not like oh greg i'm only in if you else in a particle you know like, right like you know it's it's uh and so I do, I do wonder like how, you know, uh, you know, how, how, how defensible some of this stuff is, but, but you know, Godspeed to them. Yeah, it has to be, I mean, app fatigue is very real and it has to be like incrementally multiple times as beneficial to use that new thing than it is to just do the janky equivalent with the incumbents. And like, yeah. it's not 10% better. It's not 20% better. It literally has to be like multiples better in order. For I, remember, yeah. I remember, I remember uh, yeah. Nicholas Reichenbach. I don't know if you know him, but he started a company called flow water. And do you know flow water? It's like a boxed water. Um, publicly traded company. Oh yeah. Probably in like, yeah. to every whole foods and, and stuff like that doing really, really well. And he invited me. It's actually really interesting. He basically had the idea and then he invited like, his like smartest friends for like to brainstorm the idea which is something like is it actually i know i got, got invited, invited but it was like i, I shouldn't i shouldn't <laughs> Sorry, have been there i couldn't resist like the other guy who was there was like the president of fiji water you know and i was like i don't even know anything about water <laughs> um this is many years ago and one of the things that we came out with was um and this i'll relate this back to particle but one of the things that uh we came out of that weekend was if we could make bottled water, like walking around with like a plastic bottled water, like be a negative signal to others, then flow water will win. So it was all about, you know, that like crunchy sound, mm. like crunch um, that you you do when you, you know, with a bottle of water. Yeah, a bottle um, of water. Yeah. It was all about like making people feel bad that that crunch existed. And it was about this environmentally friendly choice that you could make with flow water. And it got me thinking about like the signal that you have with all products. So if, you know, Partiful, if sending a Partiful link is a signal that like, you know, a certain signal, then there might be longevity there. You, you just made me think of Greg, like this, uh, this article from last year, actually almost like a year, like, yeah, literally last year about how and run in the like, the cool swag is like designer water bottles. I remember reading this last year thinking this is ridiculous. And then like turning, it turns out like there's a little bit of truth to, to this piece. And it's crazy to me what people buy for designer water bottles, just to signal to other people. Like, yeah, I, you know, just riffing it's on the that. Charizard hologram, man. You got to flex on the, the consumer product. I mean, not to bring it all together, but if they made a water bottle that had a, like an original Charizard in it, I mean, that sounds like something mischief would make. That, that would Dude, be kind of, you know, uh, or a blast. My favorite, yeah. my favorite new sweatshirt that I have is a crew neck with a large Popeye the Sailor Man on the front, like, you know, with his muscles. and that Rowing Blazers? Rowing Blazers make that one? Or? It's, um, it's Noah. Noah, New oh, York. Oh, yeah, no, Noah, yeah. Noah did, like, a Popeye's, like, yeah. Yeah, they did the Popeye collection. And I was like, the nostalgia effect in consumer is so real, man. Like, I want anything like that. And I want to get I, – I, my son's born in about a month. And I was like, guys, can you make me a baby version of this so that I can be matching in my little Popeye crew neck with my son? That would be the dopest thing ever. That's awesome. Or you could be a little <laughs> can of spinach. Although, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good too. Um, guys, last couple minutes. Um, let's just do a quick rundown of takeaways um, from uh, from the episode. We, I feel like we covered a lot. I guess mine would be um, 
don't wear a uh, a pink blazer to to a press conference. No, but in all seriousness, with that one, you know, I, it's a sad story with Fast. It's also one where it's like, if you're a B two B product company and you're kind of in the background, you know, match the hype cycle of what you're doing and you know the hype around what you're doing to what you need to be doing right it's like kind of an execution focused back office thing and so there's a little bit of like red flags that go off with that um what else did you guys have i think you know maybe my my takeaway is the way you tell your story is everything and if you're going to do it to be flashy do it consistently you know mm. um and the best of the best whether or not it's pokemon uh find ways to do it and reinvent it continually and you hope they you hope they do it especially in this new era um yeah and then the, some of the ones that tell their story really poorly history remembers too and uh it's sad to see my other big takeaway is be like mike posner you know be that honey badger that that can walk across the nation step by step day by day and if in a reptile i don't know what happened but who bit him but even if a snake gets in your way you will make it to the pacific ocean you know uh be mike posner so that's my i'm gonna listen to cooler than me after this you know i think i'm gonna i got uh i've actually never heard the term storytelling engine so just, you know, create your storytelling engine and create your storytelling map to me is like biggest takeaway. Yeah, I yeah. love that one, actually. And I thought it, it wove into almost everything we talked about, actually, the importance of storytelling as it relates to business building and as, and as it relates to creating durable value over the long term. Um, so yeah. I love that, dude. This was awesome. This yeah. was a blast. Thank you guys for uh, for taking the time, Danny. Thank you, yeah, Danny. Have to have you back on for more of these. Yeah, come, thank, come back on me. if yeah. people if people like Danny as much as I like Danny. Let us know, and uh, yeah, <laughs> get that <laughs> like. That and if you don't, subscribe. and if you don't like, yeah, him as exactly. Much, if, if you didn't him like know, him on the show know. at Dtrin <laughs> on Twitter, that's best place to find him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if Partiful wants to throw any parties now that we hooked it up, I'm in New York, man. So hit me up. Wait, for, I'm in New York. Uh, I'm, free I'm in New Orleans right now. I'm flying to New York tonight. We got to kick it. Maybe I'll send you a. No, let's kick it, man. Yeah. I'm around, man. I'm not traveling. I've got the baby due next month, so I'm uh, I'm around. Greg, you have to fly let's in a little bit of Raul. Oh, I'll send I'll, you a Partiful link. Yeah, this I'll look for it. it. You know, yeah. get Partiful dot co slash let's do it. The room, let's uh, do it. Where it happens. Yeah. I want. I want. I want. I want to thank our sponsors, GetPartiful.com. Um, if you sign up today, a referral code DTRIN, uh, you get one yeah. ETH, one ETH for your party. So, uh, GetPartiful.com. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly right. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Later. Let